0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. St. Paul warns Timothy that in the last days there will come trouble. People will be lovers of themselves and, well, frankly, all the downfalls that come from that. But then he points Timothy to the solution, to Scripture. Scripture that is breathed out by God. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide. Today is Thursday, February 23rd. And you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Do me a favor, and next time you're online, head over to lhfmissions.org. Find out all the ways the Lutheran Heritage Foundation helps congregations and missionaries spread the good news of Jesus with foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Again, that web address is lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend William Swirla, Pastor Emeritus, to help us dig into Second Timothy chapter 3. Good morning, Pastor Swirla. Welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Good morning, and the peace of the Lord be with you. It's it's good to be here, and uh, especially uh, to talk over uh, Second Timothy. I, I just uh, preached a, a couple of sermons off of Second Timothy this past week uh, at a doxology conference. So they're kind of these texts are fresh in my mind. I'm looking forward to talking about them.
0: Well, excellent. Good. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about them with you. Um, I tell you what, from what I understand, you're up there in the Pacific Northwest, in Washington now, retired from pastoral ministry. If you don't mind, tell the folks at home just a little bit about yourself.
1: I uh, I, I like to say I'm retired from congregational ministry, which means that I don't have to attend voters' meetings any longer. <laughs> sure. But uh, I, I don't consider myself retired from the pastoral ministry. Uh, pastors emeriti— uh, are always uh, uh, we tend to be busy. Uh, sometimes even busier than we were in parish life. Um, I have the the luxury of being able to do some of the things that I enjoyed doing while I was in parish ministry, but that often took me away. So um, I've been doing a, a great deal of writing, and I've been helping out with Doxology, which is a group that uh, basically uh, provides. Um, I guess, continuing education and support to pastors in their work as as carers of souls, and uh, so I serve as chaplains to uh, many of their conferences. So that's a nice way to keep uh, keep an altar and pulpit, which I do miss. And uh, also uh, retreats of various sorts, too, but... uh, the uh, luxury I have is that I don't have to come back to a desk load of work and a pile of voicemails and emails. So, it's <laughs> uh, as you know, I'm sure, right?
0: Oh, sure, oh sure. Especially right now during Lent, it's uh, it, can uh, yeah. Be, it can yeah get really as, tough
1: as Lent is fast approaching. So there's a little bit more freedom uh, to to think and write and speak, and uh, and so I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, we live up in the. Uh, Far north, uh, part of the Olympic uh, Peninsula in Washington, very beautiful place, and uh, enjoy the outdoors. My wife and I have always enjoyed the outdoors, and so it's kind of a privilege and a wonderful gift uh, to be able to just uh, walk out of the door of our house and be on a trail. So, so very nice
0: that sounds amazing to be honest so yeah well God's blessings to you and on your continued ministry in the retired sense because I know that you like like you said you fill plenty of pulpits plenty of altars you keep busy and uh, we in the church are grateful for retired pastors continuing to use their gifts for the church I tell you what though before we dive into this text I would like to invite you to start us off with some prayer
1: let us pray. Holy and most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, you have caused all scripture to be written for our learning. And so we pray that as we consider the words of your Apostle Paul to Timothy, that you would open our minds and our hearts uh, to attend to your word and to rightly understand it, that it too may make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Christ, the incarnate Word, and our Savior.
0: Amen. Amen. So our text today is the Second Timothy, uh, the chapter 3 that we're on. I'm just sort of looking at my notes here. Um, Last time we got together, we were talking in, of course, chapter 2, and he ends that by saying that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then, of course, the goal is that God may grant them repentance. Before we get into the exact text of this section, um, what else should we know about where Paul has been encouraging and, uh, I guess, basically teaching Timothy in this letter so that we understand where he's going in this next section?
1: Well, I, I think just by way of introduction, um, I find 2 Timothy especially to be uh, very near and dear to my own pastoral heart, and I'm sure yours as well. Um, this is really, uh, first of all, it's it's Paul's last letter that we have in the canon, chronologically speaking. Uh, he's facing his imminent death. In a sense, as Luther put it, it's it's almost his last will and testament. Um, and And there's a real sense of, handing on the baton, you know, like a relay race where, where, where uh, you're handing on the baton to the next runner. Here's the Apostle Paul uh, seeing the end of his life, and chapter 4 certainly uh, talks in those terms. But he's handing on the baton of apostolic ministry to his young charge, Timothy. And so I think every pastor of every generation reads this personally, as though the Apostle were handing the baton on to us. And there's everything from fatherly advice and encouragement to uh, exhortations to steadfastness to sticking to the pattern of sound words and sound doctrine, not to be swayed by deceptive and seductive teaching, uh, ample warnings about uh, just the lay of the land. And and, uh, sometimes I think Paul uh, uh, went into a time machine, uh, popped into our age, and then came back to write that letter (laughs) back in the first century, because it's certainly so vividly descriptive of our own time, as well as Paul's. But then we're reminded that there's really nothing new under the sun, including uh, heresies and challenges to the gospel. And so what Paul faced in his day, we face also in ours. But I draw a lot of uh, strength and comfort from 2 Timothy as a pastor, and I, I get emotional about it. Yeah, because you know, here's here's the apostle. He's he's come to the end of his race. He's he's fought the good fight, you know, and and now he knows that he's going to have to hand this on to others, and so he's entrusting the sacred deposit to Timothy. It's, for me, it's a very uh, very emotional thing, as well as as uh, something that's encouraging.
0: And I would think too that Paul is in that special position because, well, while he's come to the end of his race. It's also, in many ways, not something he's volunteering for, right? He's not—he's not hanging up the stole on purpose. He just—he kind of knows that this is the end. He's in prison. Uh, things are not looking well. That must be just such a burden on Paul to—to um, to have to say, "Okay, I've—I've I've done all this. I've suffered so much, and now." I literally have to trust God, of course, that he's going to work through these new pastors, these new young men who are being raised up to spread the gospel. That must be a, a very complex feeling that Paul is experiencing. Yeah,
1: you know, I agree. And, and yet, and this is jumping into chapter 4, but but, but I sense a, a, there's this really a note of hopefulness um and almost joy uh you know he he says that that you know he's already poured out as a drink offering the time of my departure has come but but he says i fought the good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith and he's, he's forward-looking. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, uh, referring to the last day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he's very much forward-looking. I love that image of the, the, the runner, the distance runner, who is exhausted just you know, every step. Forward is 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 just just a strain and a struggle. These every ounce of energy has been depleted, but he's got the finish line in sight, you know, and he sees the Lord and the crown uh, in sight, and that's what propels him to take those last few steps and finish the race. So this is a very tired runner who looks forward to crossing the finish line and collapsing into the arms of the coach, so to speak. Um, uh, and he uses that image in, in earlier in Chapter 2 where he reminds Timothy that an athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, one of the three images that he uses of steadfastness and single-mindedness. In 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 pastoral work, that uh, one must compete according to the rules. that is stick to the pattern of sound doctrine, um, and and whatnot. So uh, I, I get the impression of a lot of hopefulness on Paul's part. This is not a sad crawl to the end.
0: I think that's an excellent point that you make. And as he looks forward, he also sees, as we'll hear in our text this morning, that well, things in some ways are going to get bad. And, and he has experienced his own fair share of shuffer, suffering, but I do like that how you point out though that he sees in that suffering faithfulness and a connection to Christ. But he's warning Timothy that, well, things are going to get bad. And I'm going to read that text. This is going to be chapter 3 verses 1 through 9, basically the first half of the chapter, and we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. Men, corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Okay, it's, it's one thought here, but there's, I, we definitely could divide this up into a couple different sections. But let's just start at the top, brother. Take us through this. He lists off, um, well, some characteristics of people that no one would really want to find themselves uh, associating with. Although, maybe all of us could find us, ourselves in that list at, at one time or another.
1: Well, you know, first of all, stylistically, this is one of Paul's, what I call, vice lists. Um, Paul's a a master rhetorician, for one thing, and and, uh, um, I'm taken back to, like, Romans chapter 1, where he does the same thing. He's describing uh, the world, especially the world uh, under the idolatries of the pagans, and, and this continual giving them over to, you know, all, all manner of lust, all manner of dishonorable passions, and then it goes from bad to worse, and finally you get this, like, this riff of everything wrong in the world. <laughs> and, and he does it here, too, you know, uh, self-centered, uh, money lovers, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, and it's almost like he's just, there's an endless list of all the vices, and wrongs and evils uh, that he sees in his own world and we see at work in our world as well and and he associates that with with the end time stresses you know that devil's little season that outpouring of evil before the end and uh it, it has a a kind of a cumulative effect it's a piling on uh i tend not to parse these things so much as just to kind of let 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 one pile on top of another, and realize that it's just this massive heap of evil that he's describing. And and that's a another place would be Galatians five, where he talks about the the works of the flesh in contradistinction to the fruit of the spirit. Um, and so Paul has his vice list, but he also has his virtues list too. And and he does here too, by the way, when he talks about his own uh, life and manner of conduct. And so, so he's always doing this. He's playing the vices of the world against the virtues of faith.
0: Interesting. So, as the you know great rhetorician, pardon me that Paul is. So you don't see here really a I don't know I don't want to say there it's random, but he's not really trying to build one upon the other, except that he just wants to list off all of the various ways in which really, his time and any time can be seen going away from God. It, it's not in a particular order that we should dissect, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask you.
1: Sometimes they are, and sometimes they're in what I would call reverse order, where the things that we might think are not so bad uh, are are saved for the end, so that uh, I I think what that does is it, it kind of invites you to root against, and, you know, yeah, yeah, you tell them, Paul. And then you find yourself in the middle of that list, too, and sure. you realize you're part of the problem. And, and I think that's, that's part of the impact of these vice lists. This is the law at work. So not only in describing, um, describing the evils of the world, uh, it's also descriptive of the evils of our own heart, too, as, as sinner saints, the old Adam. So uh, nobody can uh, uh, exclude themselves from the list. So somewhere, somewhere in that list, you're going to get hit, too. And, and I think that's part of the effect of the piling on or the sawed-off shotgun effect. Uh, sometimes you can see structure. I don't particularly see a structure here or an organizing principle, but I really haven't uh, you know dwelt on it that much. I do know that in Paul's later career, his chief adversaries were not the Judaizers of his early career, Letter to the Galatians. Right, the men from James and all of that problem. But they were the kind of the, this incipient Gnosticism that was creeping into the church in the latter part of the first century. And that's that subtle blend of Greek philosophy and Eastern religion and Judaism and Christianity, kind of the New Age spirituality of the first century. Uh, this was taking hold already uh, at the time of Paul. You see it in Ephesians and Colossians, particularly, you see it in the pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, kind of these vague references to these teachers who are teaching esoteric doctrines and following strange myths and genealogies and troubling people with weird diets and weird ways of life. But these are all the kind of, uh, I would call it, proto-Gnosticism, pre-Gnosticism, for which in the 2nd and 3rd century, that became a full-blown religion but but here it's, uh, the seeds are already sown and Paul sees it and so he he addresses it and that's where you get these these um uh, these cunning teachers who creep in and uh, creep into households where the man is away and uh and you know kind of um seductively persuade the weak women of these teaching uh, that's that I think is just a full on evocation of Eve and the temptation of Eve in the garden you know, isolate her from Adam, and seductively get her to to uh, contradict the word of God. And 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 you know, the Gnostics later venerated Eve for bringing knowledge into the world. She did a good thing; see? she brought knowledge into the world. And I think that's that's indicated with this uh, led astray by various passions, always learning but never arriving at a knowledge, a gnosis of the truth, it's almost using their own vocabulary against them because they were peddling a higher knowledge, a superior knowledge to what Paul was teaching.
0: But I think that, and first of all, that's extremely interesting about uh, honoring Eve for bringing truth into the world. I had not heard that, and so that's one of those rabbit holes I'll probably dig into after the program. But yeah,
1: look into Irenaeus against heresies. He, he's like a catalog of all the, and there were tons of Gnostic sects I can't remember which one it was, it might have been the Valentinians, but, but uh but he describes their teaching and one of them one of them uh you know, even the serpent was venerated because uh, you know, the in, in the ancient world the serpent's unblinking eye snakes don't blink. And so so the unblinking eye was a sign that they were all wise because they were continually taking in knowledge. The and so so you have the symbol of wisdom promising uh uh, knowledge of good and evil, you know and and being wiser than God himself, you know and and you too can be uh you know as smart as God, or even more so um the the, uh, the Gnostics thought this was a great thing, so Eve was held up in in high veneration as she brought knowledge to humanity.
0: Wow, talk about nothing new under the sun and and, and, then, we, <laughs> and then he also says right here, though, which I think is fascinating, and it so encapsulates our society today. Now, in the immediate context, he's talking about these weak women. Don't get too hung up on that, folks at home. He's just talking about, as as their guest said, you know, these are women who um, probably burdened because of their guilt, and they're just desiring to have have the truth spoken to them, and people take advantage of them. But then I, I love this. Always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And isn't that what it is today? We're always trying for the next thing, the sort of progressivism in in search of of what's true, but then what is true and noble and right changes day by day for people uh, because they're only going according to their own whim. So really, they're always learning, they're always striving to find the right way to do things, and yet they never arrive at the truth because they're not looking in the right direction.
1: Yeah and, and these these women were not necessarily ignorant um uh, they they were well read uh they were learned uh many of them were were uh, would have been of, of noble uh status um however it's their 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 kind of the, that general love and curiosity for learning that can get the best of you uh you know or you can like like mom used to say you're too smart for your own britches sort of thing. And, and I think that, that that kind of feeds into that. The devil can play into our curiosity and our quest for knowledge as much as anything else. And certainly in today's world, where we don't even need door-to-door, um, door-to-door doctrine people, we, we just go to the internet and you can dial in anything you want, including these ancient heresies that were around in the first century. And in their modern dress, and uh, our endless curiosity for, for knowing things and understanding things can get the best of us if, if this is done apart from faith.
0: So true, because there are so many self-help gurus out there. So whether, whether their goal is to get rich quick or to become the most spiritual person in the world, you can get online and find basically any, any doctrine out there to itch your ears for, for whatever your issue is. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I like how you put that. No one's having to creep into households anymore. The, the people are literally coming to them in droves.
1: Yeah, the the device they use now is is the internet and your computer. So it's a lot easier to disseminate all kinds of false and misleading teaching. And quite frankly, some of it looks true, and some of it has truth in you know in it. Uh, you, you can't have like just absolute falsehood because you'd sniff that out but these really subtle, seductive ways of of playing truth against God, playing a little truth, small t truth, against the capital tree, T truth of God's Word, which is right back to the garden and that conversation between Eve and the serpent.
0: So tell me a little bit about Jannes and Jhambrez, right? <laughs> these, this is the only place we hear about these guys. I mean, well, by name.
1: Yeah, this is a name drop here. Uh, you know, And so you get, you get out your concordance and you start shuffling through the Old Testament and you go back to Exodus and Moses and you, and you can't find them. Uh, and they are uh, two characters out of rabbinic tradition. Uh, you can find them in the Talmud and the Tanakh. The, you know, basically, the, not the Tanakh, the Talmud, um, uh, but the, the recorded sayings of the rabbis who love to converse about Scripture with each other. Um, but uh, they are two named court magicians of pharaoh so when moses engages pharaoh and and with the with the demand let my people go and uh you know his he, his uh he turns his the, the his rod is turned into a snake you know and he's doing all these signs in front of pharaoh and pharaoh calls in his court magicians to to do the same it's like oh i can do that you know it's not a big deal uh but but in, in the, the beauty of that narrative in exodus is that god through Moses, always one ups the court mu- magicians, right? See that, so, so they can do they can do like a, a second rate copy of what God is doing, but then God gets gets one up. Like so, Moses' snake eats all the other snakes, <laughs> and that. But two of these guys, apparent uh, in the tradition, the rabbinic tradition, are named Janus and Jambres. And these are Egyptian court magicians. And there's all kinds of traditions that that grew up around them, Uh, uh, some that they converted to Judaism and uh, left with the Exodus. So they were part of the company of Israel, much to the snare uh, of Israel. So they were a problem. And uh, uh, depending on the tradition, they either perished at the golden calf incident or they perished in the rebellion of the sons of Korah, you know, the, the, the unholy fire incident, or they perished uh, the, the, some other incident in the wilderness where Israel rebelled. But the sense is always that they were kind of like in the center of the rebellion, you know, stirring up the trouble that yeah. led to Israel's downfall in the wilderness. And so uh, they would be very have been very well known to Paul as a rabbinic student, uh, Paul, uh, a, a rabbi in training in the Pharisee school, and so, and they'd be very well known to, to to the the uh, you know the people of Paul's day, the Jewish people of, of Paul's day, who would would have known the rabbinic teaching. So they're held up as kind of like um, figures of the past that opposed the right teaching of Moses. They opposed Moses. Uh, And in the same way, these new teachers floating around today are opposing Christ and the gospel in the same way.
0: Now, just for what it's worth, and I know this isn't the point of the, the text, but we get these names. This isn't necessarily to say that this was definitely the names of those men. He's just using this as an example where God's not trying to communicate to us, oh, by the way, I think it's important that you know these guys' names. He's using this as a means. It reminds me a little bit of how we have all, through tradition, we have all the three wise men named, so to speak, uh, as if there were only three. So we have we have these names in here, but we shouldn't read too much into that. Really, it's as you said, it's just trying to get the point across that there are people that are amongst you, as in this tradition, that you must be aware of.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, in, in no way does this, when Paul cites, Something. Jude does the same thing. He cites something, uh, an apocryphal text about uh, uh, Michael and the devil contending for the body of Moses. Nowhere seen in, in the Torah, in, in, in Deuteronomy. Um, but you know, it's something that, that grew up as part of, a, part of the tradition and ended up in one of the apocryphal books. But the, the point is that example is known. So it's only held up by way of example. And it's an example that everybody would have heard. They would have heard that story. They would have known those names as troublers of Israel, as, as magicians and those kind of in league with the dark forces. And, uh, and so Paul is trying to make an association here in the same way these, these, these false teachers, these super apostles, these uh, people coming after him and saying, you know, Paul. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. We have superior knowledge to Paul. Uh, they're just like uh, you know, those ancient those two guys that, that were a pain, a thorn in the flesh of Israel, Janus and Jambres, or a thorn in the flesh of Moses, uh, really. I like how Paul describes them. They are first corrupted in mind, and so their thinking is wrong. And secondly, they are disqualified, or the word there is uh, uh They are they're out of bounds. It's a term from, from the athletic sphere. When you, when you step out of bounds, you know, the whistle blows, that's it, play over. Um, they're disqualified regarding the faith. The faith, not, that's not personal faith, that's, that's the faith, um, the content of the teaching. So their thinking is, is corrupted, and the content of their teaching is out of bounds.
0: Wow. Interesting perspective. I never I never heard it explained that way before. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ponder that and folks at home, you ponder that too. We're going to take our break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So don't go anywhere because when we come back, Pastor Swirla and I will continue with 2 Timothy chapter 3, the second half. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend William Swirla, Pastor Emeritus. If you have any thoughts or questions, folks, about today's show, don't hesitate to reach out to me at PastorBoo at gmail.com, or you can drop me a message on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. And I just want to say thank you for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. You can catch us over the air, on demand at kfu.org, For those who prefer to listen on the go, you can download the KFUO app, or you can subscribe to the program on your favorite podcasting platform. It means the world to me that you're here, and thank you for telling your friends and families about Thy Strong Word. Well, Pastor, before the break, we had uh, just sort of finished up this idea that, well, we're going to have people in the midst— because of all of this godlessness, all of this lovers of self and money and pr- pride and disobedience and ungratefulness, et cetera, etc., cetera. Et cetera. You, you said it was a, a heaping of a list of vices that, that he, of course, as a young pastor, but really all of us as Christians, we must be keenly aware. In the second half of our text, we have that, I guess, list of virtues, I think you might say, that he points to himself and urges the uh, the young Timothy to follow him, I'd like to read those verses for the rest of our conversation. So this is going to be verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, brother, we have some famous lines in that text, but we'll just start at the top. Uh, Take us through this part.
1: So uh, set against that part that we just talked about and this list of the vices of the world and of our own sinful nature, I think we always have to remember that we've got a foot in this game too, right? Um, Paul addresses Timothy emphatically. Uh, the first word in in um, in this part is you, you singular, you Timothy, I exhort you, Um and, uh, and so, but you, you followed, he says, uh, my teaching, conduct, aim of life. So, so um, he, he then gives a list of these virtues that, that uh, he's confident and present in himself. I, this, this sometimes sounds a little arrogant, but Paul does this a, a lot. He holds himself up, his, his life and conduct, as, as an example. Uh, and I think uh, you and I as pastors, we need to give consideration to this, too. We are an example to the flock. And our our the the conduct of our life and the way in which we conduct the life of faith uh, is visible to all. We do live in kind of a glass house, and when we step in front of the assembly on Sunday and preach and and preside, we we are our whole life is kind of an open book. So that that's that's an important thing to give consideration to. Uh, Paul can say that, and we should be able to say that as well. You you know followed my way of life, uh, as well as Paul says my teaching and conduct. Uh, He reminds uh, Timothy of his persecutions, uh, really following just the contours of the book of Acts. uh, um, And he mentions specifically Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, where Timothy was from. And, um, you know, in each of those cities, if you go back to the book of Acts, uh, Paul had trouble. Uh, the, you know, he began preaching, people were hearing, and, and people coming to faith, and then, then factions were stirred up. There were Judaizers stirring up trouble for Paul. Uh, it, it seemed wherever he went, there was a riot. Uh, you know, he was jailed. He was nearly stoned to death, uh, which is what he's referring to when he says that the, the Lord rescued me. Uh, he survived, uh, you know, you know, near stoning to death. Um, and then the summary verse, which I, I think we really need to take to heart. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, and and I think that we can take pause and think about that t- today as well, uh, as it as as living a godly life in Christ Jesus stands in sharper and sharper contrast to the the norms of society and the world. Um, the spotlight is going to be on us as believers. And we will, we will be in the crosshairs of an antagonistic culture and society. Uh, and we too will feel, I think, the, the, the heat of, of persecution in all sorts of forms. Uh, you know who knows, who knows to what extent? But um, Paul says that uh, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will experience what he did.
0: The Old Testament prophets were persecuted, John the Baptist, Jesus, of course, the apostles. So, yeah, Paul is saying, you're not going to be left out of the persecution. You know, I can look at all of my things. I want you to follow my teaching. and Well, he says, you have followed my teaching, which is an encouragement. But then he tells them, yes, as people get worse, you will be persecuted. And I think we make the mistake sometimes of thinking, well, persecution is only when you know, they're dragging us Christians into the stadium. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a week or so ago, we had the Super Bowl, right? So they didn't have as the halftime show a stoning of Christians, but they did have in many ways a display that was contrary to the Christian message, as were a lot of the commercials, as is a lot of what happens throughout society. So even if there's not like outright persecution as we might think of uh, in say biblical times, or even in times where Christianity is currently outlawed, Christians are being resisted left and right, and our faith and teachings are being mocked and and completely um, uh, uh, trying to be uh, completely erased by people who, frankly, hate Christ. And so these things are coming true.
1: Well, you know, I, I think of of just to to drop a, a name that's— that. Uh very prevalent in, in the news is, is a man by the name of Jack Phillips, who's a uh, a baker in Colorado, right? And, I mean, all he's trying to do is, uh, you know, he he's a man of deep convictions, he's a Christian, and and he, he just won't uh, decorate cakes for events that are contrary to his faith, that, that are expressions of things he doesn't believe. And as a result, he's being hounded and persecuted, and uh, persecuted in the sense of being hounded and harassed uh, by by uh, you know the courts and by um, you know uh, committee that I've got the wrong word here but you know councils city councils right. and things like that but but everybody's after him They're you know, trying to shut down his business and essentially drive him out of the state and 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 his only crime is that that he doesn't want to contradict his his firmly held beliefs uh, in his business that he wants to conduct his business in what he feels. Is, is a godly manner in accord with what he understands as the truth as a Christian. And, uh, and you know, he's not alone. I, I think he's just not. kind of the tip of the iceberg in this.
0: Well, and he doesn't provide a service that can be easily gotten elsewhere, but the people who he, they claim he's, he is uh, discriminating against seek him out on purpose. And so obviously this is a reversal. The persecution is toward him.
1: Well, and and I think you're you and I don't want to go too far down this road, and we want to stay close to the texture. But I think in in modern application, I really do think that the the life issues and the marriage issues and the sexuality issues are going to be sort of the spearhead of that persecution for the church you know because because christians refused to participate in this and are speaking against it much the way they they did not participate in the games of the first century uh... they did not participate in the immorality uh, of the first century and the first century was was no uh... Victorian, <laughs> right. you know walk in the park uh... it, it was a if you think it 's bad now it was it was bad then in 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 all sorts of ways, but the Christians were non participants and spoke actively against it and in some cases you couldn 't even join the church if you were part of any of that you know um, so they drew a very sharp line, and as a result uh, they they suffered because they they were viewed as basically um, Enemies of the Ro- of Roman society, they were the killjoys of society. They were, you know, they took the fun out of everything, and they were they were just bad for Roman life. And so they needed to be gotten rid of. And and I think you're seeing you're seeing that, that that's very much of a phenomenon today too. So we shouldn't be surprised. Paul wrote about it two thousand years ago.
0: We see not only him saying that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The second half. Of that clause is that while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Um, I think that's interesting and worth dwelling on. So it's not just that you're going to be persecuted, but the bad guys are going to kind of get away with it and, and get worse. That, that That's not much of a comfort to us Christians, I don't think, but it's the truth.
1: Well you know we saw another recent example of that in the Grammy awards where where uh, Satan is 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 actively is, is 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 held up uh, <laughs> in a positive light. Um you know one of these days Satan's going to really rear his ugly head to those who think this is a joke or that they're being you know they're 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 being bold and in, in in sassing uh you know people who believe him to be the evil one. They're going to see what evil really looks like and it's going to be a horrifying sight I guarantee it. But um you know, we're getting to this point where, where evil is becoming utterly evil. It's like it's like the amplifier has been turned up to eleven. If I may borrow a phrase from, uh, I think Spinal Tap is it comes from that movie. But but uh, but you know, it, it's it's the the volume is so high you can't mistake it these days. It's not subtle. No, so,
0: it, it's not subtle, and I think that the way that Satan is, I guess, uh, winning over people, which is still consistent with what we're talking about here is that they think it's a big joke, as you put. They think it's a big joke. It's no big deal. They're just owning Christians. They're just trying to punk Christians with this stuff. And, oh, look at the silly Christians get all upset. But the reality is that's exactly, um, well, not, not to sound like an old uncle or something, but that's how they get you, you know? That's, that's, how, the, that's how Satan gets you is by, is by making you believe that he uh, isn't real, doesn't exist, that evil isn't a, a big deal. And, and that's, that's what we have to contend with. but those are people for whom Christ died. So we have this this double duty of proclaiming the truth to the lost while also recognizing that people will absolutely simply just reject Christ's message. and, and there's at that point not much we can do.
1: So you know the, the question is how then do you navigate the waters where you are in you're basically swimming in amplified evil of all, all sorts? Um, and uh, you're, you're swimming in a pool of false ideas, false teaching, false philosophies, misleading, seductive uh, teaching. Um, you, you know, it, these, this is, it, these are treacherous waters, spiritually speaking. I mean, how does one navigate that? And And this is where this chapter then um, I think provides the rock-solid basis and comfort in the Holy Scriptures because that's where you know, God hasn't left us with, without resources, and he didn't leave Timothy without resources. Uh, see, Timothy didn't have to rely on the strength of his own spirituality or the, the, the strength of his own moral conduct or whatever. Um, his strength, the foundation of his work, uh, as one succeeding Paul is found in the Holy Scriptures. That's precisely where Paul directs Timothy's attention, lest he fall into despair because how, who's, how can you contend with
0: all of this? Well, as we know from elsewhere too, and in the book of Acts, it's not like he could look to Dad either, right. Dad's a pagan. Uh, we don't know that he's a particularly bad guy, but he's not a Christian. And so you know he ha- he points to this from childhood, which of course is an homage back to Lois and Eunice, but they brought him up in what? The sacred writings, as you put. That's what makes us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Which is good that we understand the context, because we often will quote 16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And that's a good passage to remember. We, we learn a lot of things, right? Scripture is uh, ultimately, all, God is the author of scripture. But at the same time, there is a role for not only the pastor but also the also the christian with society to lean on scripture for teaching reproof for correction and training right it's not just for us to read in the in the secrecy and privacy of our homes and churches it is to proclaim to the world
1: well i like where paul um you know again it's, it's very personal as for you in the sing- singular continue in what you've learned and remember where you learned it. You learned it from mom and grandma, from Lois and Eunice. They the, uh, Timothy's father was pagan Greek, but his mother and, and her mother were pious Jews, become Christians. And uh, Timothy learned the seeds of that were planted uh, from early childhood. the The word there is is a word for the youngest of child. They can even refer to a, a, a yet to be born child. Um, so it's not a little kid. It's from infancy from babyhood you have you have uh, you know heard the holy scriptures um so so mom and grandma read the scriptures to little timothy before he could read Uh, maybe before he understood everything that that they were reading to him but but they were they were planting the seed of the word into little timothy i think this is a strong encouragement to read the scriptures to your kids Um, there, there's no, there's, you know, scripture is not like an age appropriate thing. Now I know there are a few stories that maybe we want to wait till later. We know what those are, but, but, but the Holy scriptures are to be read to, to your children, uh, well before they know how to read that, that these, these, these stories become formative of their life and faith. And you're planting the seed of the word in them, which is the, the, the grist for the Holy spirit to do his thing. So, so I, I, It didn't start with Paul meeting Timothy. It started with grandma and mom reading the scriptures to little Timothy. I I think we need to begin there as well.
0: And what an encouragement for every parent out there, or mom who doesn't have the support of dad, or dad who feels like he's going at it alone, or grandma. You know, all you have to do is bring out the Word. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. And I think that should be very comforting to parents who are struggling to raise their children in the faith, and they just sometimes don't know where to begin. Well, obviously, the best place to begin is the Scriptures, and it's as you pointed out, it's never too early. That's great.
1: And they didn't wait for Timothy to you know, grow up and decide for himself what he wanted to believe. They so read important. the Scriptures to little Timothy. Uh, it's a great testimony to these two women. You know? It's a less than ideal circumstance. Dad, Dad's a pagan. He's not on board, but that didn't stop them. That didn't stop them, and and uh, I think we can draw a lot of inspiration from that too. Uh, you know, Paul talks about the sacred writings, I mean, he's referring sp- specifically to what we call the Old Testament—Moses, the prophets, and and that collection of I mean, what we call the New Testament—really hasn't been collected quite yet, or is only beginning to emerge at the time of Paul. Uh, although Second Peter does refer to uh, Paul's writings in the same breath as the other scriptures. So um, even by the time 2 Timothy is written, uh, certainly some of the earlier Gospels um, and uh, and Paul's letters are taking on that, that level of authority in the church as well. But I think Paul is referring mostly to what we would call the Old Testament here, which was the basis of Christian preaching. You know the, the 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 preaching, the preaching was that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and from the, the, that, from the Old Testament. Um, the other thing I would note on that passage too is it gives us the purpose of Scripture to make us wise to salvation through that faith which is in Christ Jesus. Um, that's purpose of Scripture. We sometimes use the Bible for purposes for which it was not intended or written. It, it's to impart the wisdom of salvation in Christ. Um, so it's you, not you there can learn to, to balance your check. You can learn to balance your checkbook somewhere else.
0: Right, it's not there to answer <laughs> every possible question we could ever conceive of.
1: It's, no, it's, nor to satisfy every curiosity, and and it, it certainly leaves room for for human learning, for us learning about you know, the the ways, of, the ways of creation and everything else. That's not what the scriptures are, are written with. They're written to impart the wisdom of salvation. And uh, by the way, it's not through faith as in personal saving faith, but, but there's a definite article buried in there. It's through the faith of Christ Jesus that is, that's an objective content, the faith that confesses Jesus to be the Christ. Like we would say the creed. The creed would be something of, of that order. Um, Paul's Paul's usually here in, in these pastorals, he's he's talking about an objective faith, the content of what we believe. Not the believing heart, but the content of what we believe. So so uh, the Scriptures are given to impart the content of our faith.
0: Well, as we come in, uh, getting closer to the end of the show, we're also to the end of our chapter here, and, and it says, you know, all Scripture is breathed out by God, a profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I just want to highlight that once again because many pastors will go into a congregation and they'll find themselves equipped by the Scriptures, as Paul says here, charged with the duty to do these things, to reprove and even correct and, and train up themselves and others in righteousness, and yet people even within the congregations kind of don't want to hear that or they don't want to receive that and it can, it can become very discouraging, and which is one of the reasons why Paul is encouraging Timothy, even in his youth, to, to preach with all authority, teach with authority, of course also with gentleness and patience and all that stuff, too. That's coming up next time.
1: Yeah, that, that breathes out by God, I mean, that is, the, that is the unique authority of the Holy Scriptures. Um, and the word there is theopnistus, which is really just the breath of God. All Scripture is, is the breath of God. Um it's Arkansas Genesis, you know, where the breath of God hovered over the waters. It's creative. It does what it says. It's powerful. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that the focus is on the scriptures, not the writers. We're not talking about the inspired writers. The scriptures themselves are the expiration, the breath of God, uh, and as such are powerful and creative. They, 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 it does things. It, it has an impact and, and effect. Um, and, and therefore an authority, the authority of the Spirit of God himself. Um, and that's true of every scripture. You know, it's not fair to say uh, the Bible contains the Word of God. <laughs> you know, that's a little cop-out. Uh, the, the the Bible is the Word of God, the breath of God, the living Word of God. You know, every, every syllable of it, even the ones you don't understand.
0: That's right. And then he ends with verse 17, which is? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, when he says the man of God here, is he speaking of like pastors because he's talking to Timothy? Uh, Is it a double entendre? Is he speaking about all people of God? How do you take that?
1: Um, I take it uh, because it is one of the pastoral epistles addressed to a young pastor. And that term man of God is a term that is used of rabbis as well. Um, I take it to be a little bit more official. So, you know, that, that the, the man of God, the man who, who represents God and who teaches about God with authority, uh, you know, that would be the, the congregational rabbi, we would say, you know, the pastor that he would be, he would be, you know, competent he'd be complete uh in the sense that he has everything that he needs uh to to do this work of teaching and reprove and and correcting false teaching by the way those four are really two and two one deals with the content of the faith teaching and correcting false teaching and then the other has to do with life that is correction of action and also in discipline or in training in right action, in righteousness. So you have, you have the two components of the Christian life, faith and life, and, and the scriptures are there for the man of God, the leader of the assembly, uh, to do this work, uh, and he's and to do it solely on the basis of scripture. As our confessions say, that's the sole rule and norm of, of, of not only our teaching, but also our teachers, right? So we're held, we're held uh, to, we're we're held against the scriptures, and our teaching and our life is held against the holy scriptures. That's the final judge of, of, of that's the sola scriptura of the Reformation.
0: Anything else about this text that you think that is really important for people to take home before we wrap up our show today?
1: You know, I think I would be remiss, uh, this goes back to the sermon that I preached a couple of, uh, last week and, and a week before. Uh, I'd be remiss, if I didn't end on a, a, a note of encouragement, read the scriptures. <laughs> Take and read. Um, if you think you know the story, read it again. If you've read Romans a hundred times in your life, read it again. Because you can never exhaust it. And and I think read it like a little child. You know, a little child loves to hear that same story over and over and over and over again, and they react to it as though it were the first time they heard it. And I think that's that's the that's the from childhood kind of thing. Return to the scriptures, no matter how sophisticated you are. You know, a layman, a theologian, you know Greek and Hebrew, you don't. Return to the scriptures as a little child and 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 look for you know just just Be eager to learn something new, because there's always something new to be learned from the Scriptures. You cannot exhaust them.
0: I can testify to that. Just doing this show has been so beneficial to me, as I get to encounter other pastors and study the Scriptures anew with a different perspective for bringing that Scripture to the folks at home, but also just, you know, boning up before I talk to knowledgeable guests like my guest this morning, who I'd like to thank, the Reverend William Swirla, who's a pastor emeritus living the good life up there in the Pacific Northwest. Brother, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: Tomorrow, guys, we are going to end our week together with the end of the letter. In chapter 4, St. Paul urges Pastor Timothy to stand up for true doctrine. He is, as we alluded to earlier, to preach and reprove and rebuke and exhort with authority, but also in patience and love. So join us tomorrow at 11 as we wrap up 2 Timothy and prepare to move into Titus on Monday. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.